0: Welcome to Blind Spots, a podcast where we're helping you fill the gap between what you want to do with your money and what you actually do. We are professional investors, writers, and financial planners helping you navigate the complexities of finance to optimize what you can control and cut out the rest. Join your host, Nick Shermans and Erin Varghese, as we discuss the questions and nuances surrounding everyday money management. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Blind Spots. Yesterday, Nick sent me a funny tweet. It wasn't originally intended to be funny, but we kind of got a kick out of it. So it said, I have a $200,000 net worth with no debt. Kind of a celebrating emoji. And someone retweeted it. And they said, honest question. Do you think this qualifies you to dispense financial advice on social media? And we thought, that is a great question. (laughs) Tell me what you thought about that tweet.
1: Well, the tweet was comical because... One, I think the person was positioning it like uh, like they had, had arrived in which that's great. I mean, like we're all playing a different game, that makes sense, but, but at what level are you qualified to give other people advice? And I think that's that's the crux of what we're trying to get to because everyone has a social circle and humans tend to mirror the behavior, the actions of those around them. And you think family, you think friends and social media. So we're just gonna unpack with some real life examples on how it it can be perilous to take advice from those close to you. Their intentions are good. They might've had success in a certain area, but that doesn't necessarily qualify them to give advice because everybody's playing a different game. What's true for them might be way different from you. And we've seen time and again, folks make suboptimal decisions based on someone else's game.
0: And to be clear, we're not talking about the licenses that we hold or the exams that we've passed. This is more about the other people that are in your life or on your phone or on social media that are outwardly just giving advice, whether directly or indirectly.
1: And there's so many TikTok, like I'm not a TikTok guy, but I've seen people post on Twitter making fun of some of the financial advice on TikTok. And when you think about a professional advisor, like we get audited by the SEC, we're, we're credentialed, we have um, compliance training and regulatory training and disclosures that we have to produce every quarter. It's very formal, very regulated. And that's a good thing. TikTok, social media is the Wild West. And often the best story gets the most clicks and the best story is often outlandish or contrarian or a hot take. And I think a lot of people can get sucked into that. And there's just a lot of really poor advice on social media and someone, I mean, I've said this in the past, but people on social media, whether you're talking about money or something else, they get paid for engagement. They don't get paid for your outcome. So I think once you understand that you'll take, Bits of advice with a grain of salt.
0: I've seen some outlandish claims on social media, and it, you just have to stop and laugh when you know better. But the flip side of that is someone who is completely clueless. They don't know how anything works in the world of finance. And that is probably the majority of people out there. And that's no disrespect or hate to other people. That's why professionals exist, is to spread the good news. But when you have so many people who are just spouting opinions and um, kind of half ideas or half truths, it can get really messy. So that's the message today, is about just more being careful who you listen to.
1: Well, I'm bringing this back to the cohort in which we work with. Most of our clients, I'd say 70 to 80 percent, are retired or about to retire. So they may or may not be on social media, However, they are with their friends and peers, mm-hmm. and I don't know about you, Aaron, but it's quite common for me in a client meeting to hear someone say hey my my aunt did this or my dad used to do this, or my neighbor says I should do that
0: mm-hmm.
1: and people people mean well they they like the person that's giving the advice so they might overweight it, but mm-hmm. what ends up happening is is not the original intent it's it's making decisions outside of your framework, making decisions that don't apply to you, taking a simple, a simple situation and making it messy. So, so what we're trying to do is not shame those well-intentioned people, but help you develop a, a filter in what you can focus on and what you can do to avoid getting sucked into some of this social pressure or well-intentioned advice that really doesn't apply to you.
0: So what does that sound like in practice? We have two relevant and two recent examples. So the first was one who, the first was one who came to us and they said, I was hanging out with my friends. They told me that I should buy a rental property. Because they could one. save
1: money on taxes. So, so this person was with their friends. One of the friends or several of them say, said that they were buying real estate property to help reduce their tax bill. So our person came back to us and said, hey, I just spent a weekend with my friends. They said I should be buying real estate to reduce my tax bill. Now, this person that came back to us had a, let's call it a concentration in a a stock. And it was a sizable part of their balance sheet. Their goal was to reduce that exposure to the individual stock while mitigating their taxes. We had a plan in place to do that. We have a plan in place to do that. Okay that's the most important thing. part of financial planning is to identify the most important thing and start there. This other stuff may or may not apply. it may or may not make sense, but it's not the most important thing but most importantly my my friend had blinders on to what other things these people were. Had going on. So, yeah, that might make sense for them to buy a rental property. They're working with the CPA. They're working with the real estate, a, a real estate agent. That that might make plenty of sense for them. For for my friend, it made absolutely zero sense.
0: And the thing about that situation that I think we needed to remind them of is that the intended purpose of reducing the concentrated position was to lower their overall risk exposure. By purchasing a rental property or any other form of real estate, while it's a different type of risk, it is inherently risky in and of itself. And so you're adding while you're reducing risk on one side, you're also adding risk in another way on the other side. So it really didn't make sense for their situation. Does that mean that there aren't other tax things that they could button up in different places? Absolutely. There's probably something out there somewhere, but it's not a one-to-one solution for everybody.
1: Well, well, and furthermore, th- there's a softer side to this. So, so I know my friend, I went to college with him. He would have zero patience and tolerance dealing with a renter, calling him at midnight, saying the plumbing is all backed up. Like my, w- one of my beefs with real estate investors, this whole passive income movement, real estate investing is not passive at all. It's very active. So there was the financial side which didn't make any sense. There was the softer side, which made even less sense because it would drive this person crazy. And it all goes back to identifying the game that you're playing. You have a plan in place. What your friends are doing, what their friends are doing probably doesn't apply to you. Everybody's got their own circumstances that they're working through. So people get in trouble when they're taking bits and pieces from everyone around them completely out of context and trying to jumble it together with their own personal plan. You're always going to be conflu- confused. You're going to be rudderless. That's not a repeatable framework for making sound money decisions. That's more emotional, subject to whims and what's the latest fad. Like you find yourself chasing what's hot. And and for most people, that's just not a a reliable plan.
0: On the topic of chasing what's hot, our second example of how we saw this play out in the real world is a couple who has gotten caught up in Airbnb. Now for a lot of people, the short-term rental space has done really well for them, but it doesn't always work out well for everyone. Do you want to expand on this?
1: Yeah, so this couple was stumbled across a friend, like a mutual friend of somebody that was talking about how much money they were making through through short-term rentals like VRBO and Airbnb. They started reading up on it. They purchased their first Airbnb rental, which turned into three, which turned into five, which turned into seven. Now they are heavily in debt. They're borrowing money from family. They're struggling to rent the properties. And it's turned into this massive stress in their life. And they never set out to invest in short-term rentals. I don't think they fully understood. The commitment, the market, the leverage, the debt involved, the the hassle with guests and 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 being a host and making sure uh that you're always booked. And they, they ended up with properties in, I think, California, Tennessee, Washington, mm-hmm. and now they're looking to sell these properties for less than they paid for them. And it's just created a massive liability, a massive headache. And again, it all stemmed from talking with someone that was playing a different game thinking there was a, a quick hot shortcut to making a bunch of money and going and doing something without a framework or understanding the risk to it and it's just a really sad story and I think a lot of people have have fallen into this because you know a lot of real estate people think that real estate only goes up but when you're dealing with debt when you're dealing with property that really magnifies and widens the range of potential outcomes you know when things are good they're really good when things are bad they're really bad. And unfortunately, uh, this couple is on the wrong side of it.
0: I'm really interested to see how Airbnb does in the future because you've got so many just regular families that own one or two properties. And, you know, five years ago, it was easy to be highly leveraged. You have your personal or your primary home leveraged in order to purchase these other properties. Now that interest rates have gone up, their margins are Squeezed and probably a lot of people are underwater. I'm just, I think in the next couple of years, we're going to see a potentially a big change in what that market looks like.
1: Yeah. And, and when people who aren't educated on real estate or any asset class start talking about it, like it's easy, like that mm-hmm. goes back to the sentiment thing. Yeah. You know, like, ba- like back in the dot com bubble, back, uh, back in the financial crisis, or let's start with the dot com bubble where like you had taxi drivers giving their, uh customers, tech stock tips. Like that was the mark. Like in hindsight, that was the mark of the top.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Like back
1: in 2021, people are trading crypto and NFTs and all this stuff and making a bunch of money. That really was the top. People were trading monkey pictures for millions of dollars. In hindsight, that was an obvious trade that filled up with a holes. So when when I hear someone tell me that that XYZ is easy and it's a commonly known thing. That's a sentiment red flag. And I think that's what loosely happened with Airbnb.
0: Isn't there kind of an old thing? Like if the the guy that's shining your shoes is giving you advice, it's kind of the same thing. Like that's your indicator.
1: Yeah. Well, and there's a Jared Dillon, who's an author. I just gave you his, his book. It's like personal finance made easy or something. No yes. worries. Uh, okay. How to
0: live a stress-free financial life.
1: So so he uses this in his own personal trading and he basically says when a trade fills up with a holes and someone is making more money relative to to their knowledge or skill he'll he'll basically take the opposite side and he said going back over the last 20 30 years of trading that a sentiment piece has served him well. Mm-hmm. So that's just that's just food for thought.
0: So did you read that book before getting it from Toby? or before giving it to Toby?
1: So Toby's read it first. I I'm I just started it last night. I just uh, okay. finished finish the Elon Musk book, which I found mm-hmm. fascinating, but that's a different conversation. Yes, it is.
0: I was going to say, we've started to, we're, we have this pile of books that's kind of lining up that is going to become a um, your uh, prerequisites for joining Pure Portfolios is you have to read all of these different books.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's there certainly books that has shaped the way that we built our culture here, and I think are just really good life advice pieces that translate over to business, but i'm I'm certainly a better person after reading some of these influential folks, whether we're talking about money or life. so back to the overarching theme just just be much like we say, build an information filter for the things you read online and social media. Have a personal information filter, even though your peers are people that you love and care about, their advice is well intentioned. You have to understand everybody is playing a different game. You're playing your own game. Start with identifying the game that you're playing. That'll make all of these other pieces of advice, these hot takes, uh, much more easy to distinguish the meaningful from the meaningless. If you identify what game you're playing.
0: Do you want to wrap it up there? Or would you like to cover the opportunity set? Maybe what your parents had versus present
1: day. Sure. So so I'll talk about my parents where during their time my parents are in their I think my mom's 73, my dad is 71. I'm I'm 42. So back in back in their time, it was very common for them to have a job for 30 plus years. Take a lunch break, eat their cheese sandwich, they get a pension, they saved and invest, they live below their means. They often retired in the same house that they came up in very simple life, very fulfilling life. They're, they're extremely happy. They're around their kids and grandkids. That's great. Now, well, and it's not uncommon for parents to give their kids advice. And as much as we don't like to admit it, uh, we often exhibit the same behaviors and tendencies as our parents, especially as we mm-hmm. age. Like I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. starting to see that in myself. I don't know how I feel about it quite yet, but that's a, that's a fact. It's not uncommon for parents to give their kids advice about money. Some of it Mm -hmm. might apply. Some of it might not apply. Why it might not apply is when we came up, and Aaron's younger than I am, but I I think this loosely holds, the opportunity set of what we faced is completely different. Like before I launched Peer Portfolios, I think I had six or seven jobs. Back in the 60s, someone might view that as a red flag. Back Mm in the mid-2000s, that was completely normal. Now there are side hustles. You can make money online. You can make money in your underwear. Uh, there's all sorts of ways to click buttons online and make money. There's, there's work from home. There's flexible work. Someone could, someone could live on the East Coast and work for a company on the West Coast. That's completely normal. Okay, so what I'm saying is your parents' advice, well, although it's well-intentioned, might not apply to us because the opportunity set is completely different. The same goes for money. The opportunity set of investments is different. Your parents invested in mutual funds and individual stocks. Your parents might've used a broker. They called them up or the broker called them up and said, oh, I think Johnson and Johnson is really gonna move today. We should buy some. That's not the case today. Young people are investing in, in, in digital assets, in real estate, in fractional art, uh, in all sorts of stuff. So again, I'm, I'm belaboring a point, but the opportunity set is different. Take their advice with a grain of salt. And it goes back to identifying the game that you're playing. That makes everything else much more clear.
0: I think that's a good place to wrap it up.
1: Okay, Aaron's on the verge of taking a nap, so we're going to wrap it up.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Blind Spots and hopefully list, or hopefully learned something about creating a filter for the financial information that you are getting from either your peers or your family or social media. But if you have any questions or comments, you can send that to us at insight at pureportfolios.com and we will see you in the next one.